I live in a world where people see me and they already think that they know what I'm going to say. I live in a world where whether I want it or not, I get in a room and there's already a bunch of projections out there. So I need to adapt myself. I can't have the luxury to just be. Welcome to Venturing Women, a podcast about female founders, investors, and ecosystem enablers. Hi, this is Daria Kamkalova, your host. There is this popular narrative that many companies start with the future founders trying to solve an issue they face personally. Perhaps one of the most celebrated examples is the story of Uber. Garrett Camp and Travis Kalanick were really frustrated with their ride-hailing experiences, so they built Uber. Much less celebrated examples we will find in the space of femtech or female technology. Femtech products and services use technology to focus on women's health or address women's needs specifically. Here too, founders, very often female founders, often start with meeting their personal needs that the market neglected because it's niche. It's just for women. Fertility too is often seen as niche, as women's problem, despite the fact that infertility affects both men and women. And on top, if a family is struggling with conceiving, it's a problem for all parties involved. It was not easy for me to record this conversation because, A, I haven't experienced hardships associated with family planning, and B, fertility is such an intimate and sensitive topic. My guest, Fatimata Lee, is co-founder of Ninti, a company that provides digital solutions for personalized care around sexual and reproductive health. Fatimata shares her own fertility journey while building a women's healthcare company. She recalls how it quickly became much more than about her own pain. Now, why the title Don't Be Too Passionate About Your Femtech Startup? Well, founders are expected to demonstrate grit, perseverance, and passion to what they're building. But does it hold true for all founders? Or are the rules slightly different if you're a woman, particularly a woman of color? Let's see. Hi, Fatimata. Welcome to Venturing Women. So glad to have you here. Hi, Daria. Thank you so much for having me. Although I do briefly speak about Ninti in the episode intro, let's take a closer look at it. What is Ninti? Ninti is a digital platform we created last year to offer care and support to women navigating very difficult periods. 90% of people going through IVF treatments are feeling depressed. One pregnancy in four will end in a miscarriage. One woman in five will go through a postpartum period after giving birth. So we all know the pain, but what are the solutions out there to support women on, at different life stages? And this is what you're trying to build at Ninti is to be able to offer care and support through personalized care and personalized health by connecting members of our community to um, healthcare practitioners, coaches, doulas, nurses, miscarriage coaches, fertility coaches. So you create your account on Ninti, you fill in a questionnaire, and we connect you with healthcare practitioners and personalized modules. What made you address this specific customer need and build this exact type of business? I would say that at start, it was me going through my personal journey, trying to conceive, and also having a lot of women in my entourage becoming mothers and sharing very hard stories with me, super painful stories. And my co-founder, who is also my friend, Olga Kokshagina, was back in the day living in Australia. And we used to have those conversations about this diagnosis with endometriosis. And back in the day, she was also working with a clinic, working on abortions. 
And we were really appalled by the lack of awareness out there. So we decided to do a user research and we reached out to so many other women and we realized that, okay, this is not only about us facing hurdles when it comes to our sexual and reproductive health. There is an alarming amount of women out there going through the same stories, sharing the same pain, coming back over and over again, feeling very isolated, feeling like they were the only one going through it. So we decided to build Ninti and it really evolved a lot from what we had in mind and what you're currently building today. I have two questions simultaneously at this stage. So on the one hand, I'm curious, what were those horrible stories that you kept hearing from women on the one hand? And on the other hand, you mentioned that the concept of Ninti evolved. Yeah. So the stories were very unique and at the same time, they're also very universal. We interviewed women from France, from the US, from Kenya, from Guinea, from Singapore, and they were all very connected in the amount of isolation that was out there. I remember that story of someone, and back in the day, I had never been through what she had been through, you know, and I didn't know that I will have to go through it as well at some point. But I remember talking to that woman going through miscarriage and late pregnancy loss and having to go back to work right after few weeks after she needed to go back to work and be that same person again when she had shifted in so many ways and she had evolved in so many ways and that experience was never validated in her workplace and she was really sad. It was a sad story of the kind of societies we were building and the kind of things we were expecting women to go through even when they were going through their most difficult moments. So we had a bunch of stories of women having to go through huge pain and still having to show up to work, take that flight, do that meeting when they were literally bleeding (laughs) and having hemorrhages due to endometriosis. We still have stories every single day because we talk to our members and we talk to women every single day, you know. So you began collecting all those stories and it must have been hard for you to digest all those stories and to focus on finding a solution, building a product and not just being sucked into those stories and this emotional whirlpool. How did you digest those stories and convert them into a solution? Because it's a very sensitive topic. It's very intimate. And particularly for someone who has been through some of those experiences. Yeah, let me answer first. Finding the solution because the mental health part of it is a little bit too long. (laughs) We may do a very long digression. So we had identified the pain. And it's a pain that has been there for centuries. We were not the first people to be like, hey, there's a problem. A lot of amazing, phenomenal female founders had found solutions in some countries and that is offering care and support and it's working. So we did a benchmark of what were the solutions out there. The European market is very different than the American market, for example. We realized that in the US, there were already a bunch of solutions that were very focused on sexual and reproductive health or women's health in general. In Europe, it was very different because we don't have a preventative model. We treat you when you get sick. I personally was not very conscious of my health before actively trying to conceive. And most of the women we talked to started to understand and take care of their health when they were knocked down by a diagnosis. It was something external that was not very positive that came and said, hey, okay, like, what does it mean to have hyperprolactinia? What does it mean to have endometriosis? Then I start to actively look for solutions. And... 
what we've noticed in the European market is that most of the solutions that were out there were not very organized and structured, but we cannot copy-paste what's happening in the U.S. to France. It's Culturally, it's very different. The healthcare system is very different, and the awareness space is very different. So at the beginning, we thought, okay, we have an awareness problem, so we need to build a platform where we can create awareness. And then very quickly, we realized that a lot of people are doing blogs, awareness platforms on sexual and reproductive health. How are we different? How are we really changing and making life of our users better? We recorded our interviews and the lack of awareness, the lack of support in the workplace came coming back in the stories. So we were like, hmm, there's something here about the workplace that is very interesting. So how do we build a model where we can offer support in B2C? And also, how do we create support through the workplace and break taboos in the workplace when it comes to sexual and reproductive health? So we decided to have this very personal and specialized orientation with the workplace. So we started to build workshops to have a first foot in the door so we could start having those conversations. And very quickly, we realized, oh my God, the companies are not ready because it's still very hard for them. And they have a conception of sexual and reproductive health that is something very intimate. So we, as HR people in France, we are very conservative. Is it our job to take care of this? This may be too intimate for us. Two, more and more women from the workplace are being vocal about postpartum, about miscarriages, about the lack of support in the workplace. So they know that they need to start finding solutions. And we are in the middle of that right now. We are trying to create awareness, build those conversations and connect. We connected so much last year to people from the workplace, HR managers, people taking care of healthcare in the workplace. We connected with research institute, with healthcare practitioners. So building that network of people with whom we can build Ninti was very important from the beginning. And now we are in a space where we feel more solid in our vision and we have allies that are supporting us to be able to deliver that mission. We are not from the medical field, so we were lacking some legitimacy in many ways. When you build something in healthcare and you're not a doctor, it just adds that extra layer of complexity. And very quickly, we were aware of that. We need to build a scientific committee with someone that will trust us and guide us and help us understand that doctor mindset. I asked you, how did you digest all those stories and all that emotional verbal when you were starting building Ninti? I really want to go deeper into this topic because I believe that most founders of femtech solutions and femtech companies are very, very passionate. When you're passionate about something, it's super easy to burn out it's super easy to relate, to be involved and engaged. And sometimes to the extent that you start identifying with something, you become something, what you're building. How did you cope with this whole influx of stories and emotions? Mm, something that I think very often is that, especially in women's health, very often those that are trying to actively find solutions are those that have been going through a lot. And it's not very fair in many ways, because when you've been through trauma, whatever the trauma can look like or feel like, you should be taking care of yourself in many ways. 
And what I've noticed, because I'm connected to so many female founders in women's health in the US, in the UK, in Germany, in Spain, in France, they've all been through some kind of trauma at some point. Most of them, the big majority. It's because the system should be taking care of us instead of us trying to make it better in many ways. That said, I also believe that it's beyond your personal story. It's beyond your personal trauma. It's about making sure that you see something that was not right and you try to fix it. And it's not just about you. And very quickly, what we've realized with Olga, even though we connected to it because it came from personal journeys, but the amount of women out there in this world going through so much pain, it's so huge. You cannot fix everything. It's over your own ability to make their lives better. But because you're aware of it, you know that you can actively try to build awareness, create solutions that can help them feeling better and having better lives and better health. And that makes you feel better in many ways. It's part of the journey. Because you've been through it, you're aware of it. And if you have not been through it, it's very hard to connect and empathize and try to find solutions. But it's beyond your own problem. It's something that is much bigger than you. But you do need to take care of your mental health. It's something that is so important and it's very hard to practice. Easier said than done. However, with Olga, we have very good duo. We create time and space to talk about things that are not working well or things that have been heavy on us. And while building our own companies, we are also going through our own personal journeys. We can't ignore the fact that we are also on our own healthcare journeys <laughs> while building a healthcare company in women's health. Do you want to share your story that helped you to relate to the stories of all those women that you've been talking to? Yes. First, I was diagnosed with PCOS in my 20s. Never really knew what PCOS was. I don't I have no idea. It's polycystic ovarian syndrome. It touches one woman in seven, if I'm not That's mistaken a lot. the number. It is a lot. And it's a syndrome that has no cure. When you have PCOS, you have higher chances of developing diabetes type 2. You have huge mental health breakdowns that can happen. You need to be very aware of your lifestyle and of the fact that sometimes it's not about the world. It's about a syndrome that has a huge impact in your life that is making your life a little bit miserable. I never really realized that the doctor is like, oh, you have PCOS. So many women have that. It's nothing very bad. Just come and see me whenever you want to have kids. The reality is we should be diagnosed much earlier and the reality is we should have a preventative model around PCOS actively support women having PCOS and we don't do it so when I embarked on my fertility journey trying to conceive I was diagnosed with hyperprolactinemia I was like what is hyperprolactinemia what does it mean you just have so many hormones in your body and so many things that happen that is out of your control that you feel dispossessed in so many ways and when you feel dispossessed you need to be active in something when you feel like you have no power in influencing outcomes when it comes to trying to conceive you feel like, okay, where is my power? Where can I be actively finding help and support and taking care of myself so that I feel like I'm in action? I'm not totally living this thing and feeling like, oh, I have no control over my body and my life. 
eventually I was able to get pregnant and while building Ninti with Olga, which was really amazing, I had a really great pregnancy. And in end of August 2021, we lost the baby and I was 20 weeks pregnant. There's the trying to conceive journey, mm -hmm. <laughs> fertility treatments, and then there's the whole pregnancy loss piece. And it's very interesting because when I was doing the user interviews with Olga, we did interview some women who've been through late pregnancy loss. And I was just like, I can't imagine. I had no idea what I could share with that person. She's sharing that journey with me. Wow. And everyone says, oh, this is rare. It doesn't happen. Losing a baby during the second trimester, it's quite rare. And then even doctors sometimes, oh, what happened to you? It's very rare. And then you start looking at clinical studies and, hmm, when it, it happens to a woman in a hundred, it's, it's not rare. It's like, <laughs> you know. It's like... I don't think it's even about how rare it is. If you happen to be a part of the statistics, you don't really care. Exactly. And, and the thing is, because people think it's rare, mm. We don't talk about it. And there are so many women who have been through late pregnancy loss, miscarriages. It's insane the amount of women who've been through that. But it's taboo. We don't talk about it. And it's a trauma that you need to live with. And I was very, very lucky to have a really amazing tribe. And, and we kept building Ninti because it's not about our story. It's about us. It's not about me or Olga. It's about us. And that's a big difference. Because sometimes you go through so much, you don't always have the courage or the ability to advocate for your health. You need people to lean on to. And we hope that many women will be able to lean on Inti to help them become better advocate for their health. We need to have more of those conversations so we are aware and that if ever it happens to us, if ever we have cancer, if ever we are diagnosed with a chronic condition, if ever we go through pregnancy loss, miscarriages, that we are aware of it, that we are not alone. Also, I think conversations of this kind often feel like women's topics, which they're not. Yeah, infertility touches as much women as it touches exactly. men. Exactly. It's like equal, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. I also want to talk about the aspect of passion from the founder standpoint. Investors often state they want to see passion, they want to see drive and grit and founders. And that's precisely what is supposed to help you as a founder to overcome endless challenges and millions of no's. I think it depends on investors. Some investors don't like passion. That's let's talk about that. Like. Exactly. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> talk about that. So, right. So, we often hear as well that women are labeled as more emotional and less rational. So how do you navigate this space as a female founder? I don't personally talk about my personal journey with investors uh -huh. okay, because I know that it can have the opposite effect. So they will see you as weak or traumatized or what? Let's not forget that, first of all, I think 2% of funds went to female founders last year. All female teams, yes all female teams when we take black women female founders there's this organization in the u.s i think it's project diane they do those statistics it's like 0 0.27 percent in the u.s that was the data for 2021 i never ever put myself in a position of victimization i'm very lucid i'm very aware that it's kind of crazy to want to build a company <laughs> you have to be nuts <laughs> you have to be nuts yes in many ways, you know. 
So I'm aware of that data. It's out there. And I'm aware of all the biases, conscious or unconscious, can happen. So I'm very aware as well of the posture that I need to have sometimes. And passion for me sometimes is not something that I have the luxury to <laughs> to express. And it, I'm not sure if I should start crying right now. No, it's. I, I think it's something that is a fact. It's something that I'm aware of. It's not okay. It can make you angry. There's actually a big paradox about technology. It's this open world built by hippies and everyone is happy and we are changing and making the world a better place. But what I am seeing every day is that it's still not so open. When we are holding community events, when we are talking to our healthcare practitioners, absolutely, passion is... And even when I'm talking to investors, they know that I'm passionate, they understand it. But I, I did talk to investors and sometimes passion is something that needs to be measured for women. <laughs> so is it a toggle? Is it like a scale? And you're like, oh, I'm talking to this investor. He looks suspicious. So maybe I will just scale down my passion from 10 to 6. No, no, not, <laughs> not at all. I don't think it's. I have crazy ideas about how it can work. I think there's a lot of things that we do in pilot mode because we've been building a muscle, navigating in spaces where we've always received microaggressions. Our daily lives are made of unconscious biases, microaggressions, and sometimes you're on pilot mode and you just adapt yourself constantly because that's how it is. Can you give me an example or a story where you clearly thought, okay, in this situation, I have to tone down my passion. I did do a pitch where I was clearly told that I was too passionate about what I was sharing. But not, it wasn't even passionate. I don't think I can say the word. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. I think the word that was used was aggressive. You're too aggressive building a fanfic. <laughs> a reproductive health platform. Mm, that's dangerous. Such a dangerous woman. Aggressive. No. <laughs> what was aggressive about that i don't understand now, now, now that i'm thinking of it it's making me laugh at it i wasn't laughing back in the days but um but it, but it sounds ridiculous it does but the thing is when you receive remarks sometimes that are so strong you become aware of that i cannot put myself out there being that passionate i live in a world where people see me and they already think that they know what i'm gonna say i live in a world where whether I want it or not, I get in a room and there's already a bunch of projections out there. So I need to adapt myself. I can't have the luxury to just be. I was having this conversation with a really good friend of mine on vulnerability because I'm a big fan of Brenna Brown and vulnerability. And, and my friend was like, but Fatou, you don't have the luxury to be vulnerable as a black woman. I am speechless. You don't. And, and, and I was shocked by that because what she was sharing was very harsh. And at the same time, I understood what she meant. I knew, I, I, I nodded. What was it in a nutshell? Unpack in, in it. A nut Unpack it for me, yeah. It's, uh, it's that sometimes you, you navigate in, in a world and I need to be my full self. I need to put my entire self out there because that's how you build things by being authentic and I'm a very authentic person but I was actually sharing that example with her she was like you put your full self out there and you receive that slap and you have to constantly be aware that if you put yourself out there you will sometimes receive slaps and that sometimes you don't have the luxury to put yourself out there and I choose to be very authentic I'm, I'm a very authentic person but it's true that sometimes it's it's something that costs me so. 
<laughs> so. I do. I I can relate to what you're saying because I sometimes get those slaps too. I realize that for many people, I'm just too much, too much this, too much that. And sometimes that leads me to a decision of changing environments mm. and being careful about picking people for whom I'm not too much. And sometimes it's, yeah, it's just a slap. And then you're like, okay, fine. Yeah, exactly. It is what it is. Yeah. And and what I've noticed, and this is something I really love at Ninti, is we we have amazing people. There are also amazing investors out there, people who care about what you're doing, love that passion. Also, when I look at the numbers, 0.27%, that can make you just be like, okay, let's move on something. I don't know. <laughs> Go back to the corporate world or something. <laughs> no, 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 please don't. You, you know, when I look at that number, I think of all those people who've said yes to you. And this is amazing because they are the one changing and shifting the narrative and building new paradigms. And I love that about being able to contribute to that and having people around supporting us. That's fun. That's really amazing. It's a perfectly to my last question. So I usually ask a question about experience that is not related to your career, but shaped you as a leader and a founder. And I think we spoke a lot about that today, so we can Mm -hmm. easily skip this one. So the last question then ties into what you were just saying. What wouldn't have been there in the world without you deciding to become an entrepreneur? Oh my God, that's a hard question. No, it's easy. I think it's super easy. Oh gosh. I think I would still have contributed to so many things differently because I've always been a very driven, impact-driven person. And what I love about the founding journey is that we are building a company. We are building a team. Just by building, you're putting a message out there. Mm. And you have this power to really shift and change things. One woman booked this postpartum session on our platform last week. And she sent me this really amazing message of how it really helped her and that she was going to book another session. We still have a lot of things to figure out. Traction. How do we make sure this is really useful? How do we build that first pilot in a company? But when I receive messages like this, I just feel like, okay, we are doing something great here. And this is the reason why I would not want to do anything different. You know, I never wake up in the morning thinking, oh, we should change i wake up in the morning i'm like oh my god that's a new week i leave the week exhausted i get energy back from the weekend and i'm like that's a new week and oh my god still so much work to do but so amazing we are building something that is really amazing and that's awesome thanks for tuning in if you like the show share it with friends subscribe to our feed on apple podcasts or in your podcast app to never miss a new episode leave a review in the app you use Reviews help us to get better and let more people discover this podcast. For updates, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Telegram 